0: 21-year-old Stephanie Tatiana Flores Ramirez was a smart, beautiful, vivacious girl who knew her way around a hand of poker. While playing a tournament at a local casino in Lima, Peru, she met a man that she thought could sweep her off her feet. Unfortunately, the man she'd met was secretly the devil. Five years to the day before he met Stephanie, Joran Vandersloot had been accused of the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Now he was about to take his second life. You're listening to Bad Axe Podcast. there, And welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka, and this is our co-host. Hey, I'm Aaron. We have a super special case for you today. We are going to Lima, Peru.
1: Yay! Woot woot
0: woot. I wanted to do a Peruvian case today because I'm fantasy vacationing in my head and really wanted to go to Peru.
1: I would love to go to Peru.
0: I learned a lot of unnecessary Peruvian facts. Well, I guess they're not really unnecessary. I mean, I do want to go there someday. I did not know that Machu Picchu was in Peru for some reason. I guess I'm kind of a dum-dum.
1: I didn't know that either.
0: And now I really, really, really want to go see it.
1: I know. That would be so cool.
0: I'm not sure if you have to hike a lot to get there. I'm assuming it feels like sort of a naturey centric vacation.
1: I can visualize that.
0: And those of you who know me in real life may be familiar with some of my trip photos. I do have a tendency to go on hikes that I'm not physically prepared to do. We climbed (laughs) ruins just recently. Right before COVID shut down, we went on a cruise and we saw some of the Mayan ruins and we got to climb some of them. And it was very hot. It was like 100 degrees in February. And we definitely still climbed them. And I did realize at one point, I am not as healthy as I need to be to be climbing this in this heat but I still did it because I'm very hard headed.
1: You're very determined and I'm glad that we both were because I also was struggling with that a lot and mm-hmm. it was super worth it because the view from oh, up there yes. was amazing.
0: Oh yes. It was great. Oh, Alright. Yeah. So hopefully one day we Machu Picchu's happening when we can go to Peru. And before we kick off this case, though, I just wanted to plug our Patreon again. Erin had the brilliant idea of actually putting the link to it in the show notes, which had not occurred to me, again, because I am possibly a dum-dum. No. So so we have that in the show notes now. It's patreon.com backslash pod. And we have our first patron. Yay! It's my Aunt Donna, and she's amazing, and I love her, and she loves me. And it really made my day today. I've been having a really tough time lately, and seeing that in my... box that I had a patron made me so happy (laughs) so uh, if you would like to support us it starts at just a dollar we are working on some really cool bonus content for this month and there's some older bonus content from before that is already available if you go there as sort of like an extra because you're going to get some cool stuff for April nope you're going to get some cool stuff for May that's coming out very very soon I have literally already written one of the episodes
1: yay
0: yay All right, so off to Peru we go. We are in Lima, Peru to be specific. And you may know this, but Lima is the capital of Peru and its largest city. Lima is located on the country's Pacific coast and it looks like the beaches along the coastline there are really narrow with high cliffs behind them. It is absolutely gorgeous. You can go to the beach, but again, they are slightly more narrow because of those cliffs. And I think it must be super cool to both look down from the cliffs onto the Lima beaches and also to look up from the beach at just this really tall cliff.
1: Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Like, looking at the pictures on Google, they were, it looks amazing. I really want to go.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then also, too, the city landscape sort of blends historic buildings with these modern skyscrapers. And just to create this rich cultural landscape that looks just amazing and almost made me want to move to Peru. <laughs> 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 I was just like, Peru looks amazing. We should just move there. Fun fact, before we uh, tell you about our murder, Lima is the home of one of the oldest institutions of higher learning in the entire Western Hemisphere, which I thought was cool. To be fair, I guess it's part of like colonialization because the Spanish founded it in the 1500s while they were conquesting. But at the same time, it is still cool that it is there. Yes, it is. yes. Yes. Now, on May 30th, 2010, 21-year-old Stephanie Tatiana Flores Ramirez met a handsome young man at a poker table at the Atlantic City Casino in Lima. Now, you might be uh, having your little ears perk up there as I'm saying Atlantic City because you might be thinking of Atlantic City in the U.S., but this is a casino named Atlantic City that I am assuming is sort of themed after the Atlantic City.
1: Yeah, I I was confused at first. I was thinking, wait, they met in the U.S., but then, like, Uh it it makes sense, though, that there's, like... Yeah, yeah. I
0: think it's, like, the Peruvian version of Vegas. Like, Vegas has all of those casinos that are themed after, like... Isn't there a Colosseum? Yeah. And maybe there's an Egyptian one, too, right?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: I think this is like that, but instead of cool places like Egypt, it's Atlantic City. I could see that. No offense to Atlantic City. I think it would be super cool to go there, but I just don't know if it's the same as, like, Cairo. <laughs> I just don't know if it's the same. We're not trying to be a hater. <laughs> so, so this is sort of like, I guess, the, like, American casino, quote-unquote, yeah, in Lima. Go. Now, Ramirez was a vibrant young business student walking in her father's footsteps, He's a successful businessman and she planned to pave her own road to success. She was just a year from graduating with her degree. In addition to going to school, Stephanie worked for her father's business, running the merchandising part of their events and promotions company. It sounded like she had a really, really awesome job there because she's basically running an entire department and she was getting a business administration degree. So I guess maybe as she learned how to do it at school, her father just gave her more authority but it sounds like she was doing a really spectacular job at it. A friendly girl, photos show Stephanie surrounded by friends and having a great time. Her father was actually a former race car driver turned politician turned businessman, and she still lived at home with him. Since she was his only daughter, her father gave Stephanie everything she wanted, but she grew up to be a kind, loving girl who trusted everyone she met. According to her brother, she enjoyed playing soccer and often organized informal matches at their home. When Stephanie met 22-year-old Joran Vandersloot, she probably noticed his good looks and the vapid charm that comes from being a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not expecting that?
1: I mean, obviously he's going to be a killer and he's a sociopath. I just I wasn't expecting it so soon, you know.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, for most of the people listening at home, uh, they probably know uh, why I said that so early on, because they most likely recognize the name Joran Vandersloot. And we will find out why in a moment if you are not one of those people. (laughs) So, he was in Peru for a poker tournament and actually had flown in from Colombia on May 14th, 2010. Although Jordan's heritage is Dutch, he grew up on the Caribbean island of Aruba, the son of a wealthy judge who gave him every advantage. And I am briefly going to tell all of us what one of those advantages was and how we know that Jordan Vandersloot is a sociopath. A lot of you probably recognize that name, and that's because Joran Vandersloot is the main suspect in one of the most famous disappearances in modern history, the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun,
1: dun.
0: <laughs> okay, so for those of you who don't remember this case, back in May 2005, 18-year-old Natalie Holloway went on a trip to Aruba with 124 members of her high school senior class. The teens, along with seven adult supervisors planned a five-day holiday enjoying the islands, beaches, and nightlife. I hope these people who are supervising were not from their school. I think this was sort of a school-sponsored thing just because it was their senior class trip, but having been a high school teacher of seniors, taking them to Aruba sounds like an absolute nightmare (laughs) because you treat them like they're your kids. It doesn't matter how old you are they are they're your kids so they're your kids and you don't want them to get into trouble but you don't have like the same authority as a parent so all you can do is gently guide them away from the problems right you know like please do not drink i realize that you can at aruba but i would really like it if you made safe decisions <laughs> 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 and so i just i know i've had to supervise them uh, on a couple of occasions when It was awkward and I just felt really sorry for these adults who did not know what they were getting into because high school seniors are essentially adults, but they're still kids in their minds. No offense if that's you out there. So they're definitely going to make the kinds of decisions that the teenagers in this story made, which is to have the best time ever (laughs) (laughs) until, of course, the end of the trip because on Aruba, they could go to the beach. They could go enjoy the nightlife. They could drink and go to clubs. It sounds super fun if you're 18 And you have uh, no freedoms over here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, just go hard. There's no, like, there's seemingly no consequences uh, until there were. (laughs) So, on the last night of the trip, Natalie and some of her friends met 17-year-old Dutch national Jordan Vandersloot and a few of his friends. The teens hit it off right away and spent the rest of the night bar hopping together. Natalie was last seen leaving Carlos and Charlie's nightclub with Vandersloot and two of his friends named Deepak and Satish Kapo when the club closed at around 1am. She climbed into a vehicle with them and completely vanished. When police questioned Vandersloot about this he admitted to leaving with Natalie but said he took her to a lighthouse then dropped her off at the Holiday Inn where she was staying. Meanwhile Volunteers began searching for Holloway alongside her distraught family, who actually flew to the island to help find their daughter. On June 9, 2005, police caved to public pressure and arrested Vandersloot and his two friends. The friends claimed they dropped him off with Holloway at the beach and left. A likely story. But I kind of believe them because he really seems to be the problem in the group. At that point, Vandersloot actually changed his story and said that rather than leaving her at the hotel, he left Holloway on the beach alone to walk back to the Holiday Inn, which he claimed was nearby. The Capos were released from jail on July 4th, 2005, but Vandersloot remained detained until September 3rd. And this seems like a good thing at first. You're like, oh, they're handling it, right? They're going to find out what happened to this girl. But that's not quite true because he does get out of jail on September 3rd. And the, the group of them just remained free for two years, during which time Vandersloot just starts spinning stories about what happened that night. He tells a variety of different versions of the events. We're not going to get into those because we're focusing on Stephanie right now. But just know that he's told a lot of different stories and has really messed over her family up until this point. The trio were rearrested a second time on November 21st, 2007, a little over two years after the disappearance. Police say these were arrests were based on new evidence, but the three men were once again freed on December 7th, 2007, just a few weeks later. And that's the end of the arrest. On February 3rd, 2008, VanderSloot made headlines again when a reporter caught him on tape saying Holloway died on the beach and he dumped her body at sea. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. Uh, He apparently did not realize the reporter was recording. So the recorder catches this story that he's weaving, breaks it as a news story, and then Vandersloot comes out and says it was all a lie and he was just making it up.
1: Likely story. Yeah.
0: Well, to be fair, he's made up so many different versions of what he's done with his body. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. This brings us to 2010 when Vandersloot tells Holloway's family that he'll reveal the location of Natalie's body in exchange for $225,000. What? Yes. Now, he wants $25,000 paid up front and the remaining paid after her remains are recovered. So on May 10th, 2010, a lawyer representing the family took $10,000 to meet with Vandersloot, who told the lawyer Natalie's body was buried under the foundation of a house by his father. Now remember, his father was a super wealthy, powerful judge. And so far, everyone has attributed him constantly getting out of jail to the fact that his father has so much power and the police are reluctant to investigate him. The lawyer believes this and thinks that it might be possible, so they wire another $15,000 to a bank in the Netherlands so that Jorn can have access to it. Once Jorn received this money, he snuck onto a plane and flew to Peru for that poker tournament that Stephanie is about to meet him at.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: Yes. So it's kind of a neat little version of of events here, but that was a five-year saga that I've sort of condensed for us. Right. So, essentially, they never did find Natalie's body. That was all a lie again. He did admit later that was a lie again. And he was charged by the U.S. government for extortion for taking that (laughs) $25,000... Not that it really matters because uh, he is in Peru, (laughs) but that's essentially what's happening. Now, to finish out Natalie's tale, she was declared dead in 2012 at the request of her father. This was seven years after she disappeared. Her body has yet to be found, but no one knows for sure what happened to her.
1: That's really sad.
0: Yeah, I hope this is one of the cases that eventually gets solved. Me too. But... As we will see, Vandersloot was not done with his crime spree just yet. Because he's now in Peru with this $25,000 that he took from the Holloway family. And he is about to participate in a poker tournament. And that is where he intersects 21-year-old Stephanie Flores Ramirez. So, Vandersloot was actually in Peru for about two weeks before he met Stephanie. If you recall, he actually arrived in the country on May 14th, but he didn't meet Stephanie until May 30th, 2010. For those of you who were paying close attention during the Natalie Holloway recap, that date probably sounds familiar, and that's because it just so happens to be the date that Natalie Holloway disappeared.
1: That's fucked up. Yeah,
0: so we're on the actual five-year anniversary of Natalie Holloway's disappearance, when he runs into the beautiful and vivacious Stephanie Flores Ramirez in the casino that night. Now, Stephanie was also playing in the poker tournament. She was actually a really talented poker player, and she had been on a good luck street all night. Meanwhile, Joran, not so much. He was on a losing streak, and that money that he stole from Natalie Holloway's family was just burning through his pocket. According to Vandersloot, when he met Stephanie, she didn't know about his past or recognize his name at all. And blinded by his good looks and charm, she instantly trusted him and joined him for a night of gambling. The two spent the night drinking and playing poker. And as I said before, she was winning, he was losing. You might think that he had a lot of cash to spare, right? Because he had that $25,000 and his family is really rich. Well, Police discovered later that Vandersloot had actually been cut off by most of his family. He had a gambling problem by that point, so when he would ask for money, they would often refuse him because they didn't want to be funding this gambling problem. Now, Vandersloot says that he had 10 drinks that night, including whiskey and pisco, which is a Peruvian grape liqueur. That sounds delicious. It does. It is unclear what Stephanie had to drink, but she did seem to be enjoying the casino atmosphere with her new friend. Although, the fact that she kept winning poker hands does indicate that maybe she wasn't super drunk. Indeed. After connecting at the casino, Stephanie and Vandersloot went back to his hotel room at the Tack Hotel. Surveillance footage from the hotel shows the pair arrived together. According to Vandersloot, they actually drove back to the hotel in her SUV at around 5 a.m. when the tables closed. And he claims it was Stephanie's idea because she wanted to keep playing poker online. But it's also possible that she just thought that she'd made a love connection.
1: Absolutely it is.
0: I think that's how he gets away with some of this bullshit because he is a relatively attractive dude. And I think he just lures the women in because he's used to having money, right? And he's a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. So he just lies. <laughs>
1: he's like a spider with a web.
0: Definitely. Pulling him in. She's in this web at this point.
1: In his web saying, of lies.
0: His web of lies.
1: Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> we love that show.
0: <laughs> yes. Authorities say that Vandersloot had actually developed a pattern in the casinos of playing poker and leaving with lovely young women. So they think that even though he says it was her idea, that she was probably intended to just be one in a string of ladies and then this particular night he ends up getting triggered. So the hotel surveillance footage shows the pair arrive at the TAC hotel together and go into Vandersloot's room at around 5:20 a.m. This is where things get tricky because there's no evidence of what actually happened in the room that precipitated the incident that is going to occur. But what Vandersloot tells police is that they were, in fact, playing online poker. And while they were playing online pay- poker, she snooped in his email and a message popped up that said, quote, I'm going to kill you, you little mongoloid, unquote. Also, wow. side note, I'm sorry for saying that, but that's literally what it said. And I didn't want to say link because I thought that would be weird. Uh, but that's what the terms that were used in the threat. So at this point, Stephanie sees this. She's totally confused. Why is this guy getting a death threat with this type of language in it? So she asks Vandersloot what's it, what it means. In that moment, Vandersloot decides to tell her about his past in Aruba. He tells her all about Natalie's disappearance and how he was the main suspect. And this is where things get stupid. He claims that Stephanie did not take the news well. Now, that part makes sense. It does. Because if I was on a date or whatever with a dude in his hotel room, which I most certainly could be, just knowing my past, and I found out he was a murder suspect, I would be totally freaked out and definitely worried that I was about to get murdered.
1: Yeah, that would be a red flag, and I would nope Mm -hmm. out of that. I mean, he
0: literally abducted and murdered a woman on vacation a previous time. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I just can't... No. So, and it's on the anniversary of the crime. I'd be like, how are you planning on celebrating that? maybe I should... (laughs) I need to leave, y'all. Okay, but Vandersloot claims that Stephanie went further than just being upset or asking to leave. He says that her immediate reaction was to attack him, hitting him on the left side of his head with her fist. I call bullshit on that one. I just do not see a scenario where he casually tells her, yeah, I was falsely accused of a crime I didn't commit. A girl disappeared and I just happened to be there with her. Because this is his version of events, right? I totally didn't murder her. I was set up. And then she just clocks him in the head, sucker punch style.
1: Yeah, no, Mm -mm. Uh Mm
0: no, no. But even if that were true, uh, Vandersloot's response sounds unreasonable because he struck Stephanie in the face with his right elbow smashing into her nose. And when he made this motion, the back of her head struck the wall behind the bed and started bleeding. Although he only admitted to striking her once, her injuries and the blood of the scene suggest he actually beat Stephanie. And some reports say he stabbed her at some point, although he did not include those details in his confession. And I will tell you that later on, the police recovered a damaged tennis racket that they believe that he hit her with. So even though he says he just used his hands, the severity of the beating and the presence of the tennis racket indicates that he may have also hit her with a tennis racket. Jesus. Yes. Now, at this point, she's fainting, like literally going limp. And he decides to start choking her. So he's choking her, and at that point, he complains that her reaction had affected him, and this makes it okay for him to choke her. But it doesn't. It really doesn't. It doesn't at any point. However, Stephanie was still breathing, so he threw her onto the floor... And starts strangling her again. So, he's sort of alternating between beating her and strangling her. But she's not dying. Uh, Which seems like, I guess, this is his second try. He maybe should be better. I don't know. (laughs) At this. This is just ridiculous. I just can't even with this dude. So, at that point, he's looking at Stephanie's limp, unconscious body. And he had a choice. Now, he could have left at that point. He could have called for help or literally anything besides what he decides to do. Which is to uh finish the job. He actually told police in his confession, quote, There was blood everywhere. What am I going to do now? I had blood on my shirt. There was also blood on the bed. So I took off my shirt and put it on her face, pressing hard until I killed Stephanie. Unquote. That's
1: messed up. Mm-hmm. Like who decides, like, hey, I've already done a crime, let me do a worse crime.
0: Yes. Yes. For sure. That's my whole thing too. I feel like he just wanted to kill her, and I have reasons, okay? Because he slowly smothers her with his own shirt that he literally took off of his body that was covered in her own blood, watches her die slowly, right? Because he's already stroked her multiple times and realized how long you have to hold someone down to make them die. Okay, he does this and then he tries to say that he lost control and it was totally an accident. He just didn't see any other way to get out of this crime but to murder her. But being serious, if you, as we will see, he has a passport, he has connections, he's able to leave Peru very quickly after this crime. If you are know that you're going to leave the country, wouldn't you do a lesser crime and then flee?
1: Yes, I would. Well, I wouldn't do the crime at all, but. Yes. I mean.
0: I mean, we're not in favor of people doing crimes or escaping, obviously. It's just that if, if your excuse is I murdered her because I didn't want to go to jail. How does that make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. Murder is way worse than whatever other piddly ass crime that you were gonna be doing. Exactly. Even if he did hit her in the head and she was bleeding, that's nowhere close to murder.
1: Yeah, assault is not as bad as murder. Like that
0: I know. I, I mean, don't understand how these people don't understand that.
1: You would think so. I really I mean,
0: that's why I think that he meant to do it. That's why I think he just wanted to. He was just full of rage and he lashed out and he hurt this poor girl that had nothing to do with him because he just was mad and wanted to hit something.
1: I think that's exactly what happened. And
0: then later on, it's like, oh, I was just worried about getting in trouble, liar. Yep. He already got away with it one time. Like, let's be serious. He got away with it. We're supposed to believe that he didn't do anything in Allie Holloway and then just turned out to be a murderer later.
1: Yeah, right.
0: This is more confirmation that he was the suspect.
1: Oh, yeah, Totally. And I mean, maybe he just, maybe he thought if he killed her, he could get away with it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, like a
0: second time. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because like he already got rid of yeah. one body. So maybe he thought he could oh, do it again. Oh,
0: maybe he thought he was going to get rid of the body. Maybe you're right. And then maybe he realized that it was too hard to get rid of this body and too bloody because he got blood everywhere.
1: Yeah, exactly. I
0: didn't even think about that. Yeah. Maybe that's why he went ahead and killed her. Man. Mm-mm.
1: Although Mm-mm. that goes back to your point about sociopath.
0: Yes, that's why I called him a sociopath, y'all. Because I mean, he already did this once before. And then to do this level of crime, it's nasty. It's wrong.
1: Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I
0: mean, all murder is wrong. But you know what I'm talking about. There's different yeah. degrees of wrongness. The scale of evil. I, I
1: saw, <laughs> that's exactly I, what I was about I to say. I saw
0: Aaron's face, and I could see the scale of evil. <laughs> because, because, okay, so for those of you who are new listeners, long story short, there's a show on Discovery Plus. That's an ID show. And I forget what it's called. It's called Most, Most Evil. Evil. yes. Yeah. And it's got this dumb idea that this guy has created called the Scale of Evil. Uh, I think it's Michael Stone or something. Yes. Yeah, Doctor. It's sound- no, it's
1: it's Dr. Dr. Michael, Stone. Michael Stone. It
0: sounds like a Michael Scott character from The <laughs> yes, Office. I swear to God it exactly. does. And the Scale of Evil is so arbitrary and subjective that he tries to pretend like it's a scientific tool, y'all. Anyway, I feel like if you... Believe in the scale of evil. This dude is way high up on that fucking scale. I mean, I feel like Captain Michael Stone would not put him up there because he <laughs> reserves that for people who give him... Who make him personally feel upset. But I think he would put Jordan Vader's Slute lower because he didn't, like, put a screwdriver on, into her skin and then masturbate to it or something. That seems to be what he thinks <laughs> is the worst. which It is, but also... Also, just, this guy is really bad, too.
1: Yes, he is. I
0: would argue that more people should be at the top of the scale.
1: Yeah. this. <laughs> like, I don't
0: know. <laughs> I feel like I would condense the layers. Like...
1: Look, there's a lot of evil people in the there's world. There's a lot I of mean, evil out there. Like, let's let's be real. They're yes.
0: And this mean? guy is one of those evils. And yeah. I don't like it when, people, when I'm watching crime shows and they say things like, Oh, I can just see the evil in her eyes. I don't mean it that way. I don't mean like they're possessed or anything like that. He's just a shitty person. <laughs> That's what I mean when I say evil. He's a yeah. shitty person. He's shitty. So this shitty, shitty person it has just murdered Stephanie, who was a wonderful and deserved to live. And he walks out right after the murder and, and goes and gets two cups of coffee and some cake for breakfast. I don't know why cake, but that's what it said in the articles. Now, this was literally just three hours and 20 minutes after they arrived at the hotel. Because remember, they have the surveillance footage to show this. So he literally just murders her and then goes get breakfast.
1: That's fucked up.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, as he walked out later, it's unclear when he... At what the timeline is between breakfast and when he actually left the hotel but it was also shortly thereafter he didn't stay in the hotel for very long he packed up his laptop and some items including some cash some of which he stole from stephanie which we will get to in a moment and he left the hotel and on the way out he told them quote don't bother my girl unquote no
1: no Uh, no just yeah Uh -uh. so they
0: literally let that body sit in there for a couple of days because they were trying to respect his wishes to not bother his girlfriend ew yeah for realsies for realsies what the shit
1: (laughs) just ew
0: Yeah, so this dude or whatever, this asshole, he flees to Chile to go try to escape justice. And I think at first he probably thought he was getting away with it because he managed to go several days since they didn't find her right away, uh, which is interesting to me. So you're probably wondering, how did he get to Chile, right? Because, you know, if he flew there, they could track him.
1: Right, right. Hello, friends. I'm Taya. And I'm Sammy. And we're the hosts of the Offbeat Worm Podcast. Come check us out. We talk about so many things. Spooky things, silly things, and everything in between.
0: Find our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. And we'll catch you on the Offbeat. See you soon. No, so what he decided to do is he paid a truck driver from Peru, the equivalent of $525 to take him from a city that's just south of Lima to the Chilean border. He took his two suitcases with him on the run and had decided to just start a new life. Once he got there, he changed his hair and... The, according to a lot of reports, he shaved it. Although to me, it looked like he already had a shaved hair in the surveillance footage. But he does dye it red, which makes no sense because it's like a crazy red. Yeah, that which to is gonna me stand out. Yeah, to me just stands out in Chile. But okay, yeah, that was his plan. Uh, so. At this point though, he probably thinks he's doing great because they did not find Stephanie's body until June 2nd, 2010 when hotel staff finally went into the room and found her deceased on the floor. She was wrapped in a bloody blanket with a pool of blood underneath her. And there was a damaged tennis racket nearby. Oh, jeez. Yes. Now, upon examination, the medical examiner found that Stephanie suffered bludgeoning wounds and strangulation. And they possibly found amphetamines in her system. Police accused Vandersloot of giving her these drugs in a drink. But he denied it during a confession. So, it's unclear if he did that. But based on her history of being such a talented student and such a dedicated employee. And basically an all-around uh, successful person They don't believe that she was doing it recreationally. They think that he must have given it to her.
1: That seems more likely.
0: Yeah, that was my opinion as well. I have no proof, but I'm just, I'm going to take her side in this. Unsurprisingly, police immediately start tracking Vandersloot. Because they have him on video with her, both at the casino and literally arriving at the hotel. And the hotel room where she was murdered was registered in his name.
1: Yeah, that's pretty incriminating evidence. Um,
0: Yeah, you would think so, but he has supporters (laughs) somehow. I don't even know how he possibly has supporters. But there are some people out there that believe that he's been entrapped once again and that everyone just always blames him when these women go disappearing around him. And it's just such a tragedy. That he was pigeonholed like this.
1: Yeah, because he couldn't possibly be a murderer.
0: Yeah, again. Like, it just so happened to be his room. Seriously, guys, really? Anyway, so he's, they track tracked him to Chile, and the Chilean government is not playing around. They took immediate action and took him into custody pretty much as soon as they found out that they were looking for him. Straight to yeah, jail. Yeah, literally straight to jail. Chile was like, I see you, weird, redheaded, strange guy. You are going to jail for sure. And they arranged for extradition back to Peru pretty much immediately. And I do have to say that it apparently was a very smooth transition because the Peruvian government went on and on and on about how wonderful the Chilean government was. I don't know if this is some kind of weird, like, dance they're doing or if they genuinely love each other. But both governments were like, I help you. I help you, too.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess this is a note for felons on the run is that if you're looking for a place that won't extradite you, don't go to
0: Chile. Yeah. Chile's like, "Uh uh-uh, we are not keeping this murderer over here. (laughs) Hell no. He is going back. So when they arrested him, Vander had bloody clothing in his possession and of course had dyed his hair red, which is a big red flag. Literally. (laughs) It's a red flag. And again, still he has supporters. Like he has the murder clothes. Like I don't even know at that point. How you are still not believing that he did these crimes. Okay, so upon initial questioning, VanderSloot tells a beautiful story about how a man broke into their hotel room and killed Stephanie. As you probably concluded, nothing happened to Joran.
1: Of course. He was
0: allowed to just leave, because that's how crimes work, as you know. (laughs) As you know, whenever criminals attack, they always let the masculine man who is uh, in fighting shape and uh, accused of prior murders. They always let him out. Of course. To leave, you know, to safety with his phone and his possessions. But they kill the woman. Um, that's just how crimes work.
1: Yeah, murderers are well known to let... What, what, what do you call people who witness a crime?
0: Witnesses. Witnesses. <laughs> They're called witnesses. Yeah. We've been both struggling <laughs> over here, everyone. We've yes. really been having a hard time. <laughs> they let the witnesses go. Yeah. Yes,
1: they're well-known to let witnesses
0: go. <laughs> oh, Aaron, I'm not going to edit that out because <laughs> I just need to shame you. I'm going to shame you. Alright, this I feel like I'm going to leave more of these things in today. I usually edit a lot of this out. Okay, so, yeah. The police, as you can imagine, were not impressed with this story. They knew immediately that something was wrong about it. So they were like, no, we're going to keep asking you these questions. So, on June 6th, about a week after the crime, VanderSloot confessed, but he had an odd request. What is he going to request, Erin? Do you have a guess?
1: I honestly don't.
0: Okay. Well, he offered to tell authorities, again, where Natalie (laughs) Holloway's party was, if they wrapped up prosecution in Peru. It it sounds like he asked them to not prosecute him at first, and then was like, actually, if we just, like, wrap this up super fast and you let me go home early, I'll tell you where Natalie is. (laughs) And Which, we're not laughing at Natalie because that's a tragedy. Just the absurdity of the fact that he has offered like 400 times to tell everyone where she is and has charged money and then always lets everyone down. And then he gets to this point where he's literally murdered someone else and says, hey, you know that other girl that I said I didn't murder? (laughs) Well, I mean, I can tell you where she is if you let me offer this one. No! (laughs) Nah. No, we're not. No, we're not doing that. You're not good. No. So needless to say, Peru was not impressed by this offer and was just like, No. <laughs> Uh, And I will tell you, though, that her family, Stephanie Flores Ramirez's family, did immediately contact the Holloway family because they obviously were upset about losing Stephanie and knew what it felt like. And they wanted Natalie's family to try to get some justice, too. So her father immediately reached out to Natalie's family and basically offered to try to help them to get Joran to tell them information about Natalie so they could actually pursue that case. And help him get tried and convicted, hopefully, of Natalie's disappearance as well.
1: Absolutely. So that
0: has been going on behind the scenes. But at the same time, they're not just like letting him out of jail.
1: No. <laughs>
0: because he needs that's where he needs to fucking be. Yeah. Okay, so despite Vandersloot's claims that he killed Stephanie after she learned the truth about his past, remember that was the original motive he gave that she found out that he was accused of hurting Natalie, the police actually disagree with this and they claim the motive was money. Now initially, and you will see this in reports about this crime, police had ruled out money as a motive when they found out that Joran Vandersloot was who he is because his family is wealthy. But when they found out he had been cut off, They realized that he may have actually had a financial incentive to kill her. And she won a large sum of money the night of the murder. It was reported as being as much as the equivalent of $5,000, but at least $2,500. There were two different figures given, but both of those numbers are a lot. uh, $2,500 is a lot. $5,000 is especially a lot. And if you don't have any money to your name and you're a complete sociopath
1: and a gambling addict. And a
0: gambling addict, it's totally conceivable that you would try to steal this money. The police believe that he planned on luring her back to his room, probably having some sort of intimate relationship with her, and then robbing her. And during that robbery, Stephanie is not taking shit. She knows what's up. She's smart, she's capable, she's a strong girl. And she confronts him, basically, and fights back. And that's what they think is the cause for him to kill her. Because they think he sort of lost control in that situation. And then with it being coupled, with it being the anniversary of Natalie's disappearance and that intense emotional reaction to that, that he just went over the edge and murdered Stephanie for this money. So, based on his confession, regardless of the motive, authorities charged him with first degree murder, which carries a possible sentence of of 15 to 35 years in prison in Peru. Partially, the sentence is, I think, already reduced because he confessed. If you don't confess and they convict you, I believe you can get a longer sentence. But if you confess, then you get an option for a shorter sentence. But he was not happy with this, even though he damn well knows that he murdered her. At his trial in January 2012, Vandersloot pleaded guilty to killing Stephanie and stealing her money. However, he also pleaded insanity, saying that he experienced, quote, Violent emotions, unquote, at the time of the murder, which is somehow an excuse.
1: Except it isn't.
0: Yeah, apparently, violent emotions is insanity in Peru. Apparently, I don't understand how that shit works. Yeah, because don't to me, violent emotions are you are a bad person, right?
1: Yeah, violent emotions means you're a murderer. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, I just don't whatever. Whatever, Vandersloot, whatever. If this insanity plea was accepted, he would actually only receive three to five years and probably only serve 20 months out of that. Damn. Yeah, which is just no.
1: Yeah, for real.
0: I will say, though, apparently the prison that he was going to at the time is considered super scary and has come under attack for human rights violations. So maybe that's why the sentences are short. Like maybe it's just a terror bill. Yeah. And as much (laughs) as we don't like people committing crimes, I do feel like our prisons should be safe. So they should probably fix that. Yeah. So before we find out if his insanity plea was accepted or not and what sentence he received, I do have to tell you that this case has a supernatural angle, which is totally my jam. And I will briefly tell you about that because after Vandersloot's arrest, when they were talking about the charges and everything, Peruvian shamans gathered outside the building where he was being held to perform rituals calling for supernatural punishment. Oh, wow. Yes, and CNN posted clips from these rituals, and they were amazing. So, they involved dolls that look like voodoo dolls are puppets that are used in sort of uh, magical rituals. I did try to look up the name of these dolls, but I was unable to find out what like a Peruvian poppet would be called. It just kept coming back as poppet or voodoo doll. Uh, But I did learn about a special kind of doll that is special to Peru that is a grave doll, but is not the same. Apparently there is a culture that used to exist in Peru called the Shankai culture. And the Shankai culture had a whole heritage of doll making. And they made these really amazing dolls out of textiles and like kind of fabrics and stuff. And this culture was improved from around 1000 to 1476 common era. And they would leave these dolls on people's graves. Now, they have gathered a reputation as, as grave dolls. You can see these in museums and different heritage places, but the researchers do not actually know if they were only used on graves as part of like a funeral ritual or if they were normal toys that were just part of the household that just meant a lot of people and that's why they were put on graves. It's unclear if there had more than one purpose besides grave dolls. But that is something that's currently being brought back in Peru. So you can actually find modern Shankai dolls, which are really, really cool but not the same as voodoo dolls. That is a digression, but the rituals these shamans are doing use these dolls for magical purposes and also had what looked like pomegranates are apples as part of the ritual. And I suspect they were pomegranates because pomegranates are linked to the underworld as well as to blood and death. Not just that, but that's one of their associations. So the shamans have the doll they have the pomegranates and they're just stabbing them with these long sharp daggers while they're doing their like chanting.
1: Holy shit.
0: Yes. And there's also appears to have been herbs nearby so maybe the herbs were involved too but regardless super cool.
1: That is pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Very interesting and I just wanted to tell you about that happening outside of the building while they were doing their press conference and they had him like the media they do like apparently they do this weird thing in Peru. I think I've seen this in other uh, South American countries where like they display the criminal after they arrest him this is him we got him and then they let the media take pictures of him and ask questions and that's (laughs) what they were doing so after they arrested him they had a whole big thing they put like the vest on him so he couldn't get shot Although, I mean, if you were a sharpshooter, you could probably get his head. I don't know. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying it seems like a possibility. Yeah. But then the, yeah, the shamans were out there like, we don't care about shots. We're going to we're gonna Can, curse him from beyond. Yeah.
1: Can you imagine if you're like, you've gotten arrested and you're like on display and then you see that in the background? Like, that's got to be scary as shit. Because yeah. like, at that point you're...
0: I would feel sorry for him but not him. Mm-mm. No,
1: not not I'm not feeling sorry for him. I'm I just saying like him. if I'm in his spot I'm like maybe take me to the jail and yeah. don't take me outside to the people mm-hmm. with the daggers. Just for
0: sure. <laughs> like why are they cursing me? Yes. Because you are a murderer, Jordan, you got to stop killing these women. Okay. So at the sentencing trial, the judge rejected his insanity plea. Yay! Yay! And Jordan Vandersloot received 28 years in a Peruvian jail. He also has to pay Stephanie's family the equivalent of $74,074. There is a strong possibility that he'll get out of jail in nine years, as Peru typically releases prisoners after they serve a third of their term, provided that they have good behavior. When he leaves prison, however, Peru has agreed to extradite him to the U.S., where he'll finally face trial for Natalie Holloway's disappearance. Good. Yes, so uh, Aruba's now cut out of this, so his judge father has no powers. And if Peru sticks to this deal, they're sending him back to the U.S. instead. Good. Um, Which is also kind of cool, because it sounds like Peru and Chile are both like, "Uh uh-uh, no, don't try to murder over here. (laughs) We are not messing with you. Uh, While in prison, surprise, he's not done yet, Uh, Vandersloot actually married 24-year-old accountant Lydie Figueroa in July 2014. Really? Yes. And she had been visiting a relative in the prison where he's incarcerated. And the two made a love match.
1: Of course they did. Of
0: course they did. Now, I do have questions for, I guess, I'm not sure if she pronounces it Lydie or Lady. I've always heard Lydie. Girl, you are an accountant. You can do better than him. What are you doing, hon?
1: I know, right?
0: I mean, he is in jail for murdering other women.
1: Yeah, I know. Like, if he ever gets out of jail, he's going to murder you.
0: Yeah, I mean, she, Probably. she already was, like, I think pregnant with a son by another dude when she met him, but she starts dating him in jail. They build this, like, relationship. Apparently, in a Peruvian jail, you can go into, like, their cells and stuff and just have family time. It's really easy just to hang out and do life stuff.
1: Hmm, that's weird.
0: Yeah, so she got cozy with him, and then he got her pregnant.
1: Oh, Jesus. Before they got
0: married. He got her pregnant. Yes, yes girl. So she gets married to him. And then later on that same year, because they got married in July 2014. In September 2014, she gave birth to his daughter, and her name is Douchey Vandersloot Figueroa. Apparently, Douchey, or it might be Dushy is the name that his grandmother, I believe, had. So she named him after one of his family members, which means she's really in deep. Maybe yeah. she has, like, a thing for the Netherlands. I don't know. Could be. Shortly before the birth, though, prison officials actually transferred him to a prison high in the Andes. So his baby couldn't visit him right away. <laughs> <laughs> And the prison officials claimed that he threatened the warden at his old prison and that's why he was transferred. But I kind of think they just wanted to screw him over because Just be
1: petty. <laughs> yeah, because like he got
0: married and he was having a baby and then they were like, "Oops." Off to the Andes. <laughs> and that's how I also learned this week that there is a prison high in the Andes in Peru, which I feel like is kind of cool, but also kind of twisted because they talked a lot about how you have to get used to the altitude. And that's partially why the baby can't go for a while because babies, I guess, you can't just take them high into the mountains safely.
1: Makes sense. Huh?
0: Yeah. So that's what's happening to him. He's still in that jail the last, as far as I know. Um, he is still in there, which kind of makes sense. He was sent in 2012, so he might get out this year at the earliest. But if he really did threaten the warden, that could probably go against his whole get out in nine years thing. Indeed. Yeah. But if he does get out, he's definitely going to be, hopefully, extradited to the U.S. for an Allie Holloway's trial. There you go. Yes. And I, I do think at this point, uh, it might be hard to find a jury that doesn't know about the Holloway case, but who knows?
1: You never know, man.
0: Yeah, it has been a long time since that case happened. Uh, I do hope that their her family gets justice for her, though. Me too. And I really wish they would find her body. It's just twisted. I kind of think that he's telling the truth about dropping her at sea because that makes sense of why he can't tell them where the body is.
1: Yeah, because he doesn't know. Yeah,
0: because it's somewhere out in the ocean. Yeah. That, to me, makes the most sense. And that was, like, one of his earliest versions of events. And I think that that's why I think it's true. And I know that there are a lot of people that believe that Joran is like a pathological liar, but not a killer. And they think, I don't, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say a lot. There are people who support him that think he's a pathological liar who likes attention, but that he's not a murderer. And that's why he's told so many different stories about Natalie's disappearance. They think he had nothing to do with it, but he just likes the attention that he gets from the media as being an accused killer, which to me does not make sense, but okay. But even if that were true, the fact that he's killed Stephanie like this just suggests to me that that, I just don't think there could be a coincidence with Natalie.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. It's just not
0: possible. I mean, mean, technically anything is possible, but in this case, I genuinely believe that he killed Natalie Holloway too. Yeah. It might have been an accident, but I think he did it. I think he got rid of her body. I think his dad helped him cover it up.
1: I think that makes that makes sense. It yes.
0: Does. Hopefully, we'll find out at some point. I mean, it's been, what, 15 years, 16 years at this point. Almost 16 years, actually, to the date. Just tells what happened.
1: For real. All
0: right. Well, thank you for listening. Please, again, consider supporting this show over on patreon.com backslash pod. That is in the show notes now. The membership started at $1. We also have buy me a coffee at backslash Pod as well if you would just like to make a one-time coffee related donation to the podcast. We would really appreciate you. Uh, we do have a lot of cool bonus content though over on Patreon and we will send something your way if you don't go to buy me a coffee as well. Um, if you would like to contact us and send us a message or some notes or suggestions, you can do that at at gmail.com. We have social media as well. We are most active on Instagram. That is really where I have been posting the most. All of our social media accounts are at Bad Axe Pod. But as of right now, I would definitely head over to the Instagram first, which is where I tend to post. And then we have a website. Aaron, tell them about our website. It's
1: badaxpod.com.
0: I know. You're so shocked. You're so, I can feel you being shocked. <gasps> oh, also, I forgot to tell you that we are on the Pod Moth Network. Why is this hard for me? I don't even know. Um, I usually remember early on and have to re-record that part, but we did the whole podcast episode. I'm not starting over. We are on the Pod Moth Network. It's amazing. You should go there and check out the other podcasts. I know I love them, and I think you would love them, too.
1: You definitely will. They're cool.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for listening. We will see you very, very soon. And until then... Bye-bye.
1: Bye.